Hey, welcome to Let the Bird Fly. This is a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here in my office, Mike and I, to record another Winging It session in our series on the life and thought of Martin Luther. Uh, This is number nine, I think. We'll be coming out as nine, nine or ten, somewhere like that. So we've uh, made a fair amount of progress, but we're still early in Luther's life and ministry, relatively early at least. Just a couple housekeeping things before we get into it. Uh, First, we'd like to encourage you, if you haven't yet, to rate us or review us, especially on iTunes. It's appreciated. You guys got us to 75 very quickly. Uh, We were very impressed and surprised. We're hoping to hit 100 in the relatively near future, so if you haven't done so yet, uh, just give us a a rating if you'd like. The stars, a review is always nice, too. It encourages other uh, listeners or other people looking for a podcast to check us out. And then secondly, uh, the other big thing you can do for us is to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet, consider subscribing. Uh, it doesn't mean you got to set it up to download all 100-whatever episodes we have between episodes and winging it sessions. Go ahead, set that bad boy up to record one, keep one. Maybe it's motivation to listen to it before the week is up. Uh, but subscribers will go a long way for us, too. It, it helps us on... Um, Stitcher on iTunes, the various podcatching apps you might be using. Uh, it helps us to kind of gauge how our audience is growing. And, uh, you know, those are things we were not, as Let the Bird Fly, we never asked for money for anything like that. Those are things you can do uh, that really help us out. The other thing is be in conversation with us. We really enjoy the emails, the comments on social media, episodes, ideas, um, follow up stuff from uh, episodes we've done thoughts you have on what we've had to say so please do keep that conversation going too but if you can subscribe we really appreciate it uh get those episodes or sessions uh regularly and then rate and review especially on itunes if you can we'd be pretty stoked if we could hit 100 in the somewhat near future mike and i have both been teaching j term here at the college which is 12 class sessions four hour class sessions over about a two and a half week span intensive courses i've been teaching 441 which is history of christianity so 2000 years and 12 days uh, mike's had pauline epistles mike uh you halfway through them we're almost done we are um i actually caught up i was telling wade that um after the first day of four hours i was five hours behind <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so we're getting towards the end of that with a lot of grading we're still hoping to bring you a great winging it session. Uh, our, our brains might be a little bit fried, but we actually have been digging a fair amount for this one. If you listen to the last one, and you really can jump in at any point, but we'd encourage you to go back and listen if you do enjoy it. Um, if you listen to the last one, we know you know that for this one we were aiming to talk about Staupitz, um, Luther's father, confessor, mentor. And so we are going to be doing that in this winging it session today. We are going to be talking about Johann von Staupitz and uh, hopefully unpacking stuff with that. In preparation for it, Mike and I have both uh, worked through uh, by Steinmetz, Luther and Staupitz, and then by Franz Posset, uh, the Staupitz as the frontrunner of the Catholic Reformation, as well as uh, the other sort of materials that we could find. I will say, if anybody's looking to write a biography, it would be great to have a nice um, kind of a lay-level um, biography of Staupitz come out. I'm thinking of uh, the one that came out on Chronic recently. Was it The Serpent and the Lamb? Mm-hmm. I believe that was by Osmond. 
uh, something like that would be, I think, a phenomenal resource for people, and not something that just Lutherans would be interested in, but anybody interested in the Reformation. So hopefully something like that appears, but we're going to do our best. And yeah, if you're looking for a, you're looking for a uh, dissertation idea, start there and then write a yeah. lab-level book. I, I think that would be uh, not a bestseller, because it's, it's, it's Staupitz. It's yeah. a minor figure, but um, I think you and I would buy it. Yeah, and not even just Staupitz in how he relates to another individual, but Staupitz for his own sake. Yeah, in general, yeah. Yeah, and so hopefully that's something that makes an appearance at some point. But we're gonna, but we're gonna do a half hour, hopefully or so, on Staupitz, and contrary to what I just advocated for others doing, kind of Staupitz as he will impact and relate to Luther. So that's gonna be the the big picture stuff that we're trying to do. Mike, I said we would do it at the end, but I feel like maybe we should do it at the beginning just so we get it out there now. Um, Mike has an, a, an academy-type thing that he has coming up next year with a colleague, uh, Dr. Kerry Keene, a physicist here at the college. Why don't you go ahead and tell them uh, a little bit about that before we get into the Sure. Starting this summer, we're going to have a one-week class on apologetics, practical apologetics. So we've plugged the Strasbourg Academy, Academy of Apologetics, Evangelism, and Human Rights, quite a few times on this uh, podcast. It is going to be in the vein of that, right? Um, Carrie Keene, who has also been on this podcast, and I, we are not Dr. Montgomery or uh, Craig Parton, and Milwaukee is not Strasburg. However, Milwaukee is a fun city in the summer, and if you want to come and actually get college credit, if you want, you can audit it, too. It's very, very, very affordable. I think it's under $400 for one credit here, and uh, if you need to stay here at Wisconsin Lutheran College, it's super cheap, like under a couple hundred bucks to stay in the dorms for for uh, that one-week period. In fact, I think it's maybe even cheaper, closer to 150. Um, you can go to wlc.edu slash apologetics for more information, or you can dig around, find my email, and, and uh, email me. We're or thinking, email the podcast, and Peter passes yeah. those on to us. And, and for pastors, for campus pastors, for high school teachers, for interested laity, for those of you teaching uh, our teens in um, in our churches, all of that, you'll, you'll find some beneficial, uh, beneficial stuff to, to do there. It will be intensive, but it can be kind of what the level you want it to be, right? How much you want to study and put into it. Like I said, it's for credit, but you can also just come and audit it. Um, we're starting, uh, it's going to be June, I think, 11th to 14th, whatever that week is, uh, in this summer, 2019. And we're hoping that it will be offered every summer and maybe grow into something more. Um, if, if you have the means and the opportunity to go to Strasburg, go to Strasburg. Um, but if you need something stateside, a little bit smaller and a little bit cheaper, uh, you know, consider us. And uh, I think it would be it would be a fun, it's a beautiful campus, it's a fun town in summer. It's just a good week, and it's very, very, very affordable. Um, we want to make it very, very cheap so that we don't turn anybody away. So with that, style pits. Yeah, and there are links in that I'll just add, too. If you get our devotional blog post, we've been trying to have daily written content, anything written by Mike uh, there is a link to the uh, apologetics course as well in that you can find that if you haven't been getting the email devotions or blog posts, uh, you can subscribe by email at the website if you want to. We have those come out about 6 a.m. each day, so if you're looking for something devotional in your inbox, you have it. Um, they are also shared on our Facebook page. <clears throat> Mike, uh, I'll put you on the spot first. Uh Maybe this is rehashing a little bit of how we even got here, where we're at now, but 
why in the world are we talking about this guy that m- many people have maybe never heard about, uh, Johannes von Staupitz? Yeah, for me, when I thought about Luther, for some reason that was always a point of emphasis, that Staupitz was the one that really kind of turned Luther um, towards the gospel in a way where he kind of said, will you stop confessing all these dumb sins and look to Christ? I mean, that we'll, we'll talk about that with more nuance in a little bit, but... Um, but I never really kind of knew the background uh, around around Staupitz and uh, his education. And really, he connects with Luther in a couple different ways, in, in historically speaking. So, for one, he is, the, he is the vicar general of the Augustinian order, and we talked about this already. So, Staupitz wants to take um, the Augustinians in Germany a different direction uh, than some of the brothers in Erfurt. Luther is one of the two people from Erfurt who go down to Rome to appeal that. They come back uh, without even getting a hearing, and Staupitz sort of, sort of, I guess, Luther and Staupitz are on the opposite side of this, and so there's a little bit of tension that grows in tension between Erfurt and, and Wittenberg, but that doesn't, doesn't mean that they're, they're not going to have any more dealings with each other. In fact, Luther kind of comes to Staupitz's side. Another story- And both want- a more observant order, yeah. they the disagreement is about how to get that way. Yeah, and so um, the other historical point is that Staupitz uh, has Luther basically follow him as a professor at Wittenberg and encourages him in that way. Another detail is when Luther goes before Cajetan uh, in Augsburg in October 1518, I believe. Uh, Staupitz is involved with that, um, releases Luther from his vows at, at one point. Um, later on then, historically, what's important about Staupitz and Luther is, is Staupitz kind of goes away from the Augustinian order, ends up in Salzburg, right? But and the al- Benedictine order in yeah. Salzburg, yeah. And then, but he also has a following in Nuremberg, and that's part of the Reformation. But Staupitz never leaves um, the Roman Church, and and I don't know that there's a break between Luther and Staupitz that would be too harsh, but but they don't connect as much anymore, much to the chagrin of Luther a little bit, like maybe even he's kind of got his feelings hurt a little bit kind of there. Um, and so Luther definitely, and we'll explore this, sees Staupitz as, the, as, the, as his father confessor, really. And Staupitz is, as you said, um, worthy of his own book because he had a following in Nuremberg. Um, his books were a part, you know, of the counter Reformation, not the counter-reformation, but the Reformation as a whole of the church, like the stuff some of the Roman Catholic um, a church did correctly so as they reformed themselves after the Lutheran Reformation, and yet sometimes in some places it seems that Staupitz was seen as someone who went too far. Right, some of his books were kind of were, were off limits and were banned. So he's an interesting character in his own right. But being the head of the Augustinian order and that dispute, then getting Luther to teach at Wittenberg. And then his dealings with Cajetan when Luther is called in Augsburg, uh, called out into the carpet early on in his career, well before 1521, a diet of Worms. Those are three major historical things where Staupitz is an actual character. And so he's, he's more than just, hey, this was Luther's um, you know, father confessor and kind of old guy in the, that we never hear about other than that he was kind to Luther and influenced Luther. He's, he's, a, 
he's a character in this story uh, in three different occasions. And and both of their lives are marked by each other. I mean, Staupitz's life will be changed because of being associated with Luther. I mean, this is partly why he ends up joining the Benedictine monastery or order um, and then be, ends up in Salzburg. So both are set on a trajectory by the other. Um, Luther's career changes because he is sent to Wittenberg to take Staupitz's spot as a professor. And Staupitz's career will change as well then because of his encounter with Luther. Maybe, Mike, if it's okay, can I a little bit of Staupitz's background, theological background? Sure, yeah, and, and eventually you should get to the big one is, is opening up Augustine. Right to Luther. I mean, I Augustine, think it, yeah. I think if anything, that that's probably the most influential thing that Staupitz has on Luther and his theology, um, and that paired with his personal relationship. Yeah. So just a little bit of background on Staupitz. Um, he himself had a doctorate in theology. He got that from Tübingen, probably sometime around 1500, a little bit before then. Um, he had earned his Master's of Arts, I believe, in Cologne. Um, he was a, a well-traveled person. He was then a well-trained theologian. His training in Tübingen, he would have especially uh, learned uh, nominalist teaching, philosophy, and theological emphases. Um, Gabriel Beale, who has come up a, a number of times in our discussions, I believe, so far, taught at Tübingen, and so that would have been something that had shaped the faculty there as well. Um, I have a, a friend who's doing doctoral work on Gabriel Beale, and I think that'd be a really fun episode we should try to do at some point, but I don't want to throw it out there, too much information now, and scare the person away. Um, but it seems that Staupitz was, had a broad theological education, and then one of his strengths was he was also able to be very eclectic in his theology. So there's definitely things in Staupitz that you go, well, that's nominalism. There's some stuff in Staupitz where you go, well, I can see he was sort of a Thomist on that, you know, Aquinas, the um, the Via Antiqua, the, the old way. And then there's, as Mike already hinted at, a lot of spots where you go, that's Augustine. And you can say Augustine, Mike, but just know it hurts my ears every time. Um, but uh, he definitely is shaped by... Uh, the namesake of the order, who is Augustine of Hippo, the famous bishop of the church there, and probably maybe the most important doctor of the church for Western Christianity for most most of its history. <clears throat> and uh, one of the insights he gets from Augustine that becomes very important kind of springs from Augustine's view of predestination or election, and it helps to show why election predestination was so important for Luther um, we have a pastor study group that Mike and I participate in. We're going to be reading through Boninger the Will now. Um, those of you who have read some of my publications know Boninger the Will is very central to what I do. Um, if you read An Uncompromising Gospel, which I hear is a great book to buy and read, um, through 1517, I largely argue there that a lot of the divisions that develop after Luther's death um, relate to stuff that Luther had addressed in the Bondage of the Will, and that really we see a lot of the, the thoughts of the bondage of the will and they're very, like, nascent. Is it nascent? How do you say that? N-A-S-C-E-N-T? You know what I'm talking about? Like, in their, they're starting to bubble up in the Heidelberg Disputation. Um, or is it N-A-S-C-I-N? Anyways, let's forget nation, that word. Nation. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, but uh, 
the reason Augustine on predestination or election becomes important for Staupitz relates to a little bit of his nominalist background. In nominalism, it wasn't uncommon for people to emphasize that part of the role of the Christian life was to cultivate a perfect love for God. And so when God elects you, right, God's going to look at you and he's going to see something in you that makes you worth electing. What Staupitz will do because of reading Augustine, and now when you talk about, well, what did Augustine teach about predestination and election, depending on what uh, denominational or, or theological tradition someone comes from, you could probably get 50 different answers, and Calvin's going to claim Augustine, Luther will claim Augustine, the Roman Church will claim Augustine. But Augustine in his writings on predestination and then in his, con- his writing against Pelagius and on sin and grace, um, there is an emphasis on God's electing is something that is uh, not di- directly cro- you know, related to something in us, but that God does in grace and undeserved love. And so whereas you had an emphasis among many in the medieval church, and I'm very much simplifying things, and every simplification then includes probably um, some level of too much, uh, too much simplification, but rather than it being you are going to cultivate a perfect love for God, Staupitz has an emphasis of God loves you, and because God loves you, you will love God. And this is where, you know, for instance, the famous advice that Luther is given, um, likely through Staupitz, but through a father confessor of, you are not, or God is not angry at you, Martin, uh, and this comes in the Luther movie, and it's right playing off of advice he was given, you're not angry at, or God's not angry at you, Martin, you're angry at God. Uh, well, that goes back to this Augustinian influence on election or predestination, that there's a certain element of, and I know, it's something I like to, to tell my students, right? God loves you, deal with it. Um, is that we look to Christ, and for Staupitz especially, we look to Christ's wounds. We look to his passion, and that's where sweetness will come up in Staupitz theology, right? The sweetness of what Christ has done for us. Um, and Staupitz is not Lutheran on this. He's not going to get where Luther goes on this entirely, but but it's there, the kernel. Um, God loves you, and so now you love God. And so you have a, a Luther who's trying to perfectly love God, a Luther who is trying to become someone worthy of God's love. And Staupitz's counsel, whether it explicitly is all the way where Luther will go with it, is going to be important for setting Luther on the path of realizing, no, it's not that I get where I'm ready for God. It's not that I get where I'm worthy for God. Christ already saw it fit to die for me. Christ already saw fit to give his life for me. Christ has elected me in eternity and now also elects me um, in the preaching of his word, in baptism, in absolution. And it's that confidence of faith of God's love that then enables me in return to love God. Uh, That's a a lot of my voice in there. Um, But I guess basically just two things, very eclectic in his approach to theology, um, which is a mark of a good pastor, right? It's It's the pastoral nature of his theology that leads him to be such um, and it explains why some of his most famous writings are related to the book of Job. Um, and then secondly, this kind of reorienting of Luther that he does through the confessional and through por- uh, personal correspondence. Yeah, so uh, maybe to even simplify it even more, uh, it's the it's the difference between, okay, God has seen something in you that you're going to have the ability to do what is in you, you know, fuck or a quad... Uh, in say est, uh, 
I thought you just cut. Yeah, I didn't cut. Sorry, that was close. You know, my brain's... Um, Versus more of an Augustinian view, which is God loved you first, right? And then you love him. And so, again, we're, we're not quite to, you know, the Pauline and Luther understanding of two kinds of righteousness and, and, and all of that. Um, but you're right that there's a kernel there. I like it you, that you brought up that he's eclectic, too, because Luther is, too. I mean, everybody wants to nail him as a nominalist here and this. And, and there's some truth to that, and, we, and it's, it's valuable to trace back, okay, Luther had a kinship with or Luther was taught in this way or, and, and then he breaks from this way. But it's just too simple to say, well, Luther totally broke from all of Aristotle's thought and he hate, you know, anything that was Aristotelian. Well, it's not that simple. Uh, Luther was taught in the nominalist way and so therefore he was, it's just not that simple. And the difference, especially for Luther, but I think Staupitz too, is the scriptures are what gives you the truth. You want to label me any way, shape, way, or form, okay, that's fine. And there's some value historically in looking at those labels, but these are individuals that are relying on Scripture, and that puts them, I think, in a whole different category. And it is for us, too. I mean, how many times—and it's our own fault sometimes we give ourselves our own labels, but, you know, usually, historically, labels are given by the enemies of somebody, right? So, um, you know, that person's a radical Lutheran. Well, I don't even know—you know, what is that? Does that—is that pejorative? And if so, did you just make up that— name just so that you could sound like a talking head on CNN, that kind of stuff. So uh, I think that's a fair point, right? That that uh, uh, Staupitz, maybe one of the gifts that he gave was to go back to Christ, and where do you find Christ but the scriptures, even though Staupitz maybe wasn't as explicit as Luther was later on, certainly Luther credits Staupitz for getting him down certain paths, whether Staupitz had that in mind or not. You know, I mean, maybe there was sometimes Stalpas just was sick of Luther. <laughs> Quit confessing all of this, you know. Um, so I think there's something there. Um, maybe one point to go in a different direction, a more historical direction, and then I'd like to ask you, Wade, to talk about the confessional, especially with Stalpas and, and Luther, is Stalpas is a little bit different than Luther because he had a, a little bit more not a noble upbringing, but he was of a higher higher crust in society. It sounds like he was a childhood friend of Frederick the Wise. And so f- the connection between Frederick the Wise, getting Staupitz at the University of Wittenberg, and then Luther is a direct connection. It's kind of one of those things, if Staupitz doesn't know Frederick the Wise, does all of this thing kind of fall apart? Does Luther stay at Erfurt? Does he go somewhere else? And so one of those kind of quirks of history um, that is looks at, it's kind of happenstance, but then was used by God for, for something great. So Luther and the confessional with Staupitz, I don't, I'm going to kick it to you, Wade, and uh, I think you know more about that than I do. Sure. It, we talked about in the previous Winging It session or, or two sessions ago, I can't remember exactly, the importance of the confessional in medieval theology and practice, uh, still in the Roman Catholic Church today, but especially in monasticism at this time, um, of in, in many ways, not only was the confessional to hear about your sins that were troubling you, it was to draw your sins out of you. It was to, to cause a, 
a great amount of introspection and really to cause you to question yourself in, in many ways then to raise scruples, which only exacerbated things for a scrupulous person. Um, but what Staupitz does um, as a good pastor, and I think that's what he was above all, was a very pastoral man, was to recognize that what Luther needed especially, I mean, Luther is someone who's very troubled by his sin. Um, we see in his monastic years, we have accounts of he has a very gaunt appearance, right? He had lost weight. Um, already it appears he's starting to have bouts of sickness, things that will later plague him in life, especially, you know, bowel-related things. Um, and what Staupitz recognizes is that in, in, in Luther, he has someone who is confessing to him who, rather than being uh, pointed more within himself and having more drawn out of him, needs to be reoriented, needs to be pointed outside of him uh, for Christ, to Christ. And so Staupitz, you know, famously is, is known for counsel along the lines of, you know, if you have a crucifix, hold the crucifix, look to the crucifix and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Right? And that in and of itself is a very ancient prayer. Um, it's a biblical prayer uh, in the East. The Jesus prayer, right, is a very important prayer. But what it is, is it points you outside of yourself to a Savior, someone who's going to do the saving of you, rather than within yourself for you to do saving of yourself. And so, although Staupitz never becomes a Lutheran, this is very Lutheran pastoral care, right? That uh, as Lutheran lay people, uh, we probably deal with friends in Christ who we recognize are really uh, struggling with something and troubled, and the last thing they need is more law, right? The law is doing and has done its work, and that person's really in the throes of despair or um, self so just they need the gospel. They don't need more law. And whether or not Staupitz would, would have categorized things at all like Luther will begin to do in 1518 with law and gospel, sin and grace, um, odds are Staupitz would have done so still in a much more Augustinian fashion. And Luther is going to go beyond what Augustine did with sin and grace and law and gospel. And really even Luther's going to be more law and gospel than sin and grace, if that makes sense. Um it, uh, sin and grace is largely kind of still diagnostic. Law and gospel is um, charismatic. It's proclamatory. It's um, a it's treating the thing, not just diagnosing it. If that makes sense. And uh, but Staupitz does turn Luther outside of himself. You couple that with things like Luther wrestling with, well, the righteous, the just shall live by faith. Um, with Staupitz very intentionally. Um, putting Luther into the scriptures, uh, putting him on a track to be a professor of the Bible, of biblical theology. That also, on Staupitz's part, he has an interest in maybe Luther taking his place with his friend, Frederick the Wise, uh, at the University of Wittenberg. But it's also to busy Luther with something besides himself, um, to put him into the Word. And it does appear that Staupitz also was a theologian of the Word, He's very well trained in the theology of the day, but he also is someone who himself showed a great ability to go to the scriptures himself, as he does in Job, for instance, and to want to unpack that. And so I think the confessional, where Staupitz spends a lot of his time telling Luther to at least come up with an interesting sin to confess, I'm in many ways telling him to, to chill 
um, with the navel gazing uh, and pointing him outside of himself, then spills over into Luther's academic work, um, which is then also shaped by Staupitz, seeing to it that Luther becomes a professor of theology. And so uh, what we see Staupitz practicing there, whether or not he intended it once again to be so, is what we kind of see in the small catechism and in the Lutheran tradition of private confession and absolution, that rather than the emphasis being on the confession, you know, making a right confession, um, the emphasis is rather that you go to your pastor and you tell him this thing is troubling you, this sin. Um, the emphasis is then placed on the absolution, um, which is centered in Christ. It is proclaimed to you, it's put into your ear, which is what Staupitz did. Um, once again, not necessarily being where Luther was theologically, but he definitely did absolve, and that's what Luther needed. Yeah, so Staupitz is historically somebody who um, is the right time and the right place for Martin Luther, and, and the students surpassed the master. I mean, we, we got no problem saying that, although Staupitz, again, is uh, a good theologian from in his own right. Yeah. I mean, from a Lutheran perspective, right. the student is past master. Yeah. There's many who would say, actually, Staupitz, from the Catholic perspective, Staupitz was actually a precursor of Catholic Reformation Reformers, or yeah. Reform. Yeah. yeah, so like you said, he is um, he's worthy in his own right. Um, but we all have people like that that were um, gave us the right thing at the right time. And even if later on we go our different directions or different emphases or maybe even disagreements uh, arise between uh, us and somebody else, they were still valuable. They were still God's instrument at that right time in that in that right place you know for the pastor who is in the confessional right now even if you don't have this sort if you of, are in the confessional right now turn the podcast off and <laughs> listen to the stuff. person there and then turn us back on <laughs> after. um and and even if you don't okay i have specific times for confession absolution you're still in the confessional with your with your members whether they know it or not right and we've said before half the battle is trying to get people to actually think you know this is a time to repent and be absolved instead of trying to talk ourselves out of grace or or try to talk ourselves into our own self justification but the way stopets dealt, dealt with luther seems a little sometimes short and crass but you have to understand this was not like a one-time thing, right? There's a constant relationship going on here where where Stelpitz can be kind of blunt with Luther. And, and I found that quite a bit. Like I often would say, maybe not too often is too, too big of a word, but all right, it's time for me to be the theologian and you to listen. And this is grace. This is the forgiveness. You're trying to talk yourself out of grace, um, which is your own twisted form of self-justification. I wouldn't say it like that, but... Um, it's time for me to be the pastor and to say, um, here is the forgiveness of sins. There is something bigger than your sin, and it is God's grace. Like you said, God loves you. Deal with it. Here's God's grace. Will you stop trying to trying to get out of it? Um, <clears throat> and I, I wonder if that's part of the relationship with Stalpitz and Luther. It, the interesting thing about Stalpitz giving Luther the task of reading the Bible, you know, uh, we can fall into that trap too. Like. All our problems are going to be solved if we read through the Bible in one year. And such great pastoral advice, and it's fine, it's fine. But the, but the ultimate 
maybe not necessarily the purpose from Stalpit's point of view, I, although I'm... But it is what Stalpit is doing, right? Like, and even if it's not what he set out and, to do. And I'll be charitable to him that, that he, he wanted what was best for Luther um, instead of just to get him get him out of the confessional for a little bit. Um, but the purpose of reading the scriptures is not, okay, here's busy work or here's going to make you feel more spiritual, but a very distinct reading of distinct texts that distinctly say here is law, here is gospel, you're in this situation. You're like the person in Paul's letter that he's talking about, or you are the person that Jesus is speaking about in this parable. You are the person that Jesus has has approached um, who needs a miracle or whatever it is. Uh, very specific readings and get them into Scripture so that the Spirit can do his work. Um, that That's... That, that's the art of being a father confessor, that after there, it's easy to listen and to say, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, you're forgiven. It's much harder to say, okay, now what do you do? There's encouragement there that you don't want to make more, but you don't want to make it a burden, another law. There are specific texts that you want them to read. There, there are some next steps in pastoral care, and there's an art to that. And whether Stalpitz was a master of that or not, he certainly, his work certainly was beneficial to Luther and then then us. And we see in Luther's attachment to people like Staupitz and to some others who had really helped shape him, and I think even in his loyalty to people like a Philip Melanchthon, where later in life, it's clear there's some differences between them emerging. Um, Luther is very committed to, loyal to, and I think, as you said, Mike, even somewhat hurt when he feels maybe he's losing the connection to preachers that God sent him. Um, And he thought Melanchthon was that, too, through some of Melanchthon's writing that Luther said he couldn't have written as well. Luther learned through Staupitz and others that the Bible isn't just words on a page. It's meant to be proclamation that God through the scriptures, by the scriptures, with the scriptures, sends you a preacher, sends you a father confessor. Staupitz was intimately connected to the Bible for Luther because Staupitz had done the Bible to him, if that makes sense. Staupitz put a face on God. And this is where even when the Lutheran confessions say, okay, maybe there's three sacraments and they can they consider confession and absolution, maybe the third is in that God is putting a face on the gospel, on the Bible for you, and that is being applied to you. And so it's understandable how all throughout his life and in, in, in his relationships with Staupitz, even un- until Staupitz's death, Staupitz, whether or not Staupitz agreed with what happened with all the Reformation that took place later, was a face of God for Luther in a very important way. And I think that's something that's precious without how God deals with us um, in Lutheran theology is that he does put faces on his word. And so maybe that's a friend who shared Christ with you when you needed it. Maybe it's a pastor in a particularly hard time in your life. For our students, too, especially for those who want to go on theology, I see part of my hopeful, hopefully part of my role is to be that face and then also, as Staupitz did, too, to provoke, and maybe the student does excel the master. I sure hope so, because it's not that hard to excel me. But um, but the Lutheran Reformation bears Staupitz's face, whether he would have been happy for it to do so or not, because he's 
kind of like the uh, the primary absolver of a 500-year tradition of absolution, when Lutheranism is at its best, that is, coming from a Lutheran, that is. Um, and so that connection is just married to the theology that Luther would do later. And, and so Luther's theology, in many ways, is a product of the confessional. And Luther treasured confession and absolution throughout life, but it's a product of that, that sort of pastoral care that he experienced with Stelpitz. Yeah, and he experienced it on the confessors or the you know the confessing side. Yep. And then he's going to experience it as the father confessor to many in Wittenberg, and both were instrumental in how he understood humanity, sin. I mean, all of these things. You, you, there is a lens that Luther looks at pastoral care, and unless you understand confession absolution, I don't think you really understand where Luther was finally coming from. Um, you know, having a good conscience before God, all of these kinds of things are are hardened are, um, and seen through the lens of, of the confessional. So for Stalpitz, I can wrap it up if you'd, unless well, you just, want something I'd, else. Well, lastly, I'd kind of like to get to the end of their relationship. Sure. I think something else that Stalpitz deserves credit for, and I think Luther, too, in his relationship with Stalpitz, um, but Stalpitz bears the cross of Luther. And when we talk about vocation, in many ways, vocation is being put to death through the cross of Christ so that we then now in freedom can bear the cross with others and for others. And Stalpitz, his life is marked by his association with Luther. Um, he forever has a question mark in Roman Catholic circles because of this association with Luther. Stalpitz makes clear in some of his correspondence with Luther later in life that he doesn't agree with everything that's happened with the Reformation and especially some of the outspokenness and directions that some claiming Luther's influence were going, which, right, Luther, this opens Pandora's box, and that's not all Luther's fault, but it does, Luther does open the box. And uh, Luther also will not publicly criticize Staupitz much, even though in correspondence with Staupitz, he will sometimes say, why are, you know, you should be on this train with me, you know, uh, we're, we're brothers in this. But I think that dynamic is helpful for us to remember, too. I don't think Luther wanted to go to any heaven that didn't have Staupitz in it. And I really don't think Staupitz wanted to go to any heaven that didn't have Luther in it. So even though they're on—imagine the chasm between them, an institutional divide at this point. Um, both of them deal in a very fraternal fashion with one another. And Staupitz really does bear that cross of he's never going to join the Lutheran Church. He's going to remain in the Roman Catholic Church— but he's also not going to um, try to wound Martin in a way that he probably could have if he came out against him, I mean, just crushingly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's something I look at and I go, you know, wow, that is love that was being sh shown um, that a lot of people wouldn't understand if they didn't really think that through. Yeah, and, and now I'll let you wrap it up. Yo, yeah, and the the opposite's not true. You know, Luther doesn't Luther doesn't have to. Oh, Stalpitz said this. You know, he doesn't have to. But I'd imagine Stalpitz constantly hearing, "Oh, your but your boy Luther." You know, probably yeah. heard that a few times. Well, and, and Stalpitz's own works do end up on the index of prohibited books in 1559, and partly because probably they do see in Stalpitz 
kind of proto-Protestant type ideas. Um, but yeah, he will be marked by this. Oh, absolutely. And so I think you're right, and I, I didn't really think about that, so I'm glad you said that. Uh, um, you know, Stalpit's keeping a little bit of distance, but being fraternal probably was a gift to Luther, and maybe Luther didn't always appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and As we're wont to do. Yeah, yeah and, and so it's just a, Luther always re- remained indebted to him. Like, this is, you know, he he doesn't... He doesn't talk to other people like he did with Stalpitz. And then there are people who, well, it's different, but you want Agricola, you know, hurt by Luther, not, you know, I mean, there was more of a sharp theological difference between right. Agricola and Luther. But, you know, Luther's like, oh, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not as sensitive to Agricola as maybe he should have been, right? And so Luther's on the other end yeah. of it, you know, and maybe doesn't always, uh, always appreciate the irony of that. So anyway, uh, Johann von Stalpitz, um, we'll probably mention him again as an historical figure. As we mentioned, there's a few places where he plays a historical character in this story, so to speak. But finally, he is uh, the father confessor of Martin Luther, and I think you're right saying he took, pointed Luther outside of himself. You know what I think he uh, he kind of taught Luther how to do, Mike? Hmm. I think he taught him how to let the bird fly. I'm not drunk, I'm just drinking 